Welcome to the podcast, Things I Didn't Learn in School. My guest today is Vanessa Marest, who is both Chief Academic Officer and Provost of Westchester Community College. I asked her on because I was interested in the role that community colleges could play in helping ease income inequality in the United States. And slightly after we recorded this, Biden came out and announced that he wanted to make all community colleges free, which was a topic that we discussed. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please rate it on Apple Podcasts. If you're interested in other stories, listen to the other recordings, read Raising a Thief. And if you enjoyed it, please rate it. And if you're interested in essays about what I think is going on in the economy, uh, please sign up to my Substack posts, Things I Didn't Learn in School. So with that, welcome, Vanessa. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk with you. What attracted me to talking to uh, Vanessa was one, because she's an expert in this field, and two, your expertise seems to come at a very timely moment. So in Biden's new additional $2.25 trillion infrastructure plan, in that is $12 billion for community colleges. And obviously, as everybody knows, one of the huge issues the United States is dealing with is income inequality. Uh, Interesting topic. Why don't you begin a little bit just with an introduction about who you are, what your background is, and how you came to be an expert in community colleges so that we can dig into some of the issues? Sure. So I was born in the United States, but spent the first seven years of my life living in England and my parents are both immigrants. So my mother was from Argentina and my father from England. Had they gone to college? Uh, My father did go to college. Um, He went to St. Andrews in Scotland and my mother didn't. My mother uh, went to secretarial school and worked as a receptionist. So you have a sense of what it's like to try to figure out the U.S. system from not having the sort of momentum of just doing what your parents had done in that specific system. Exactly. And um, so I always just felt kind of fortunate that I had, you know, figured it out and... I went to William Mary and then you ended up getting a PhD. Exactly. My goal in, you know, my master's program was actually just to get the master's degree and become maybe an educational consultant. And I ended up on this research project looking at the uh, magnet programs in New York City. Um, but when those funds ran out... I ended up getting picked up as a research assistant and to do qualitative research on community colleges. I knew actually like literally nothing about them, Hmm. but that was um, in the late nineties and nobody really knew that much in the higher ed research world um, about community colleges. A lot transpired after that. I was fortunate enough to be part of a group of researchers that, you know, ultimately I think contributed a lot to the understanding of what happens at community colleges, how students experience them um, and how colleges can restructure themselves to help students succeed at higher rates than they do. What is a community college? Okay, so a community college is a public two-year college. There are just over a thousand of these in the United States. They're part of state systems. Um, The most well-known structure for a public university system in the United States is, is called the California Master Plan, and that means that there's A flagship university, which is a four-year university, which is kind of the one that everyone hears about. So that's like the University of Michigan, University of California, that. Mm -hmm. And then there's a second tier, which are regional four-year colleges. They tend to be less selective and less well-known. 
And then the third tier is often two-year public colleges. And the two-year public colleges um, offer actually a very wide range of programs. They're often called comprehensive community colleges because they offer both credit programs, non-credit programs, programs for people who want to go right into the workforce and programs for people that want to transfer up into the rest of the system and go to one of the four-year colleges or universities. Mm. That's basically what the colleges are. They are a big segment in higher education that, that people know relatively little about. Although surprisingly, when you walk around your community, you often meet people that took a class or their sister took a class. Hmm. You know, the community college is hugely impactful, but actually a very little known and understood segment of higher education. And when did they, what's the, the history? I saw some of the material gave me, it's roughly 100 years old. The concept? Yeah, the first one is um, it was founded in 1901 um, in Joliet, uh, Illinois. I think it's Illinois, outskirts of Chicago. And that was explicitly um, a junior college, which is the name that community colleges went by for a long time until they decided to get rid of that idea of being junior. Essentially, what it was was exactly the concept that we still have today, which is the first two years of a four-year degree. But really, what was happening at the time was that more and more people were interested in pursuing college degrees, and the faculty of the four-year colleges were getting frustrated with the wide academic range that they were having to deal with. Wow. They saw the community college as a way to start educating students, have students kind of succeed there before they got the opportunity to go to the university. So hmm. that's basically the origin until probably around 1940, 1950. There were relatively few community colleges in the country. They were popping up here and there and growing in number. But it was really the GI Bill that, that led to an explosion of enrollment at community colleges. And from there, they really they grew as um, a major sector of higher education. They had their own association, which was uh, lobbying on their behalf in Washington and drawing attention to what community colleges do. And the sector really grew from there. Are oh, do they cost money? And if so, how much? Do they cost money for the- For the, the students. For the students. They do cost money. Um, they're, they're relatively inexpensive. So a full-time tuition at a community college in the New York area tends to be between five and $6,000 for a semester. Hmm. So that's full-time, which is four courses usually. And anything beyond that, you don't have to pay for. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're paying five, 6,000, some, some go higher than six, but that's, that's essentially what you're paying for tuition. They're very disproportionately commuter colleges. They don't have housing. Some do have dorms, um, but the majority do not. So your costs are really relatively low. And if you qualify for federal financial aid, um, if you qualify for a Pell grant, Pell will cover most of your tuition. So between Pell and often scholarships, it is you know pretty much possible for a student to attend and you know almost pay nothing. Hmm. They'll still have to work though. Students don't have it easy. Most of them are working uh, part or full time getting aid or, or scholarships to help offset the cost of their tuition. So there's a huge amount of concern about the lack of mobility in America. So people say that had a lot to do with Trumpism, uh, you know, low flat real wages for long periods of time. And also there's a big shift in the economy related to technology. It's a foot now. So do you think that these schools can 
help navigate that? And if so, how? Yeah, I think they absolutely do. And you know, I see that in my work every day, working with students. But there's also research evidence that shows students will be able to move from one income quintile to the next uh, as a result of being able to earn a college degree. So- I did a little bit of searching before we got on the air. And I found that according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve, 5% of people with a high school education become millionaires. 21% of people with a college education become millionaires. And that's based on, I think, 2014 data. Right, exactly. If you were, so to sort of come back to where we began, there's going to be $12 billion in this bill if it gets approved for community colleges. Um, A, what will that money be helpful for? And B, if you were to step back and look at the income inequality in the United States and the role of community colleges, if you were more unconstrained, what would you do to actually deal with like what what changes would you make at community colleges to actually narrow that gap? I'm excited about the potential of an infusion of funds for community colleges. Obviously, Jill Biden taught at a community college. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. She was, uh, I think, a developmental English professor at a community college. Uh And I've seen her speak a few times. She's great. Really a tremendous force in terms of bringing an understanding of the role of community colleges and their importance to federal agenda. And the federal government has been extremely important to community colleges in terms of building infrastructure because Community colleges operate on really limited resources. Community colleges don't want to increase their tuition because they recognize how important that low tuition is to the students who are attending. Hmm. I will say at my current college, you know, we have buildings, they're very like antiquated and um, the buildings themselves are a real challenge to um, update. There's been a lot of change in the way that classrooms are furnished. Obviously, technology has changed, but even furniture, which allows for flexibility and learning, reconfiguring. So you're not all sitting in rows, but you can work in groups. A lot of that uh, active learning, participatory learning, there's material that you need in order to make that happen. And our classrooms at my current college, most of them have tablet chairs. They're 50 years old. Making the change, getting something new in there. We have chalkboards in our classrooms. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I went on a mission to replace chalkboards, which I never thought I would do in my career. But, you know, the, the truth is that's a funding issue. So when you're a student coming out of high school or an adult student coming back to college, you're... 66% of you are first-generation college-goers. You know this is not a selective institution. You know this is uh, an inexpensive college that's supposed to get you started. And you walk in the door, and lo and behold, you see stuff that is 50, 60 years old, and you're walking back in time (laughs) when you walk into our buildings. You know, that's not a good message to send. That is not... Right. Doesn't say like you're going places. No, no selective four-year college or university would put up with that kind of thing. That's what we have to work with. I think we, we do a tremendous job you know, of managing it. Different colleges do it in different ways. And there's, you know, there are funds, funds come our way and we improve a building and then we move on to the next. And there are many beautiful spaces at community colleges. There are also many spaces that are massively in need of updating, um, not for the campus, but for the students, because I really, it matters a lot to me that when a student comes in, they should feel like they're in a special place. It's college and that everybody there believes that they can succeed. Mm. And um, I don't think some of our spaces really say that. So when I see infrastructure improvements um, that Biden's putting forward, 
I think it's greatly needed. I think it will make a huge difference. I think that we can make colleges that people feel really proud walking into them. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. What, what about making something even more disruptive, like making it free? I mean, that was some presidential candidates were saying that, and you're saying five or $6,000 isn't that much money. But if you're working a minimum wage job that, and you're also paying rent, whatever, five or $6,000 becomes substantial. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's especially substantial if you don't qualify for Pell. So if you're working, ironically, you may not qualify for Pell and then you have to pay the five or $6,000. So And Pell would take care of it all? Yeah, Pell is a grant. Say probably on average, it's around 50% of community college students are getting Pell, maybe 40 to 50% and the rest are not. So there's plenty of students that you know are paying bills that, yeah, they are hefty in terms of paying your way through college. And students will often start out full-time and then drop to part-time, both because of the cost and because of their work schedules. So they slow their momentum and, and then they're going through course by course. I do think free community college would change that pattern and many more students would be able to attend full-time. And I think we'd see success rates go up right. as a result of that. So we have about 66% of students at community college are colleges are what we call first generation college goers. They're hmm. the first in their families to go to college. And that's a pretty big proportion when you think about it. That's huge. What's yeah. it, what's it in a, in a traditional college? What's it like? Do you know? I actually don't know the answer to that, but I would say it's nowhere near that. I would say it's nowhere near that too. Yeah. Yep. You know, so that's a big that's a big part of our population. You know, when they succeed, they are often the first person in their family to earn a degree. And oftentimes we'll see them transfer on hmm. between 25 and 30% of community college students do transfer to a four-year college within four to six years. You know, that's a substantial number of students going on to hopefully earn a four-year degree. So mm -hmm. I do see them very much as um, an institution that offers social mobility and really channel challenges intergenerational inequality that you know, that's really hard to to get past. What what percentage is there? Is there a breakdown? Are these people disproportionately people who have just emigrated to the United States? Or is it something that this this person has just decided they're going to bust out of the track that they were in? Like, what's the profile of, or maybe some anecdotes of some of the students that have left an impression on you? Sure. Well, we do get a lot of international students. I'd say that number has dropped off quite a bit in the last few years. I do think the Trump administration had an impact on um, international students and college attendance. We're hoping to see some of those numbers rebound. So that's definitely one group of, of college students. We're also, I think, very important, uh, of growing importance to um, the Hispanic population. And so those are Many of them have been raised in the United States, but, um, you know, like myself from immigrant families. 
And hmm. um, so, so that's a, a very large population at community colleges. The community colleges around here are in the 30 to 40 percent um, range in terms of the percent wow. of Hispanic students. Well, that's like classic American dream stuff that your you know parents are working. I mean, the, to some degree, your story as well. In other words, your mom's working as secretary, and then you can get a PhD and then change things for the. Yeah, it's one of the, the themes that I've seen emerge from my interactions with students who have come actually to the United States by themselves, sometimes escaping very difficult circumstances at home, being able to succeed in college and kind of get their foot in the, the American economy that way and go on to, you know, earn bachelor's degrees and, and beyond. And we had one student, she was uh, from Germany and she came over as an au pair initially, but lost her au pair position. In the meantime, she had done extraordinarily well. She was in the Honor Society. She was president of student government. She had had a tremendous track record, lost her au pair position one semester short of graduation. Um, she did end up um, being able to, to make it through and graduate. She then went on to uh, UPenn and completed a degree there, her undergrad degree. And now this May, I was very excited just this week to receive an email from her that she's going to graduate from Fordham Law School. So, wow. Uh, so that's, you know, and I hear that story repeated again and again. Our, um, our student trustee at my current college grew up in Honduras and actually had an abusive family there, escaped, moved to New, New Rochelle. And again, doing extraordinarily well. She's going to graduate with a degree in early childhood in her case. And I'm sure that she will also one day go on to earn a, a bachelor's degree somewhere. Mm. That's the thing that when you work at a community college and you see people, especially at commencement, crossing the stage and, and you know the incredible journey that they've had to get there, um, it can be very moving and inspiring. And so this, this is a really important point. So people on the right would probably say, oh, the reason why we have such bad income inequality is lack of motivation. And people on the left would say, no, 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 there's structural constraints that have become more rigid over time. So what I hear you saying is, is based on your experience as an educator in the trenches, so to speak, that it's less a motivation issue and more people bumping up against these very practical uh, obstacles that would stop them from uh, changing their circumstances. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, you know, one of the, so the premise of your show, Paul, is that things you, you learned or that struck you. Uh, yeah, things I didn't learn in right. school. That's right. And so I was thinking about that. And one of the things that, that I've learned is that education really brings out the best in people. And, huh. um, you know, I've seen people exceed their own expectations mm. and do tremendously well. So I think education itself is a big motivator. I think, you know, when people don't succeed, it is often structural problems that are getting in their way. It's responsibilities at home. It's needing to work. It's surprising to me how often I talk to a student who has their work schedule changed in the middle of the semester and they can't finish their classes as a result. Do you have like a concrete anecdote or that comes to mind when you're saying a story like that? Yeah, no, I've spoken to many students like that. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is a student who was in a program that was actually 
a foundation-funded program to bring extra support for single mothers. Mm-hmm. And so it's called the Family Economic Security Program. And, and one of them was working at a flower shop. And I uh, spoke to her extensively because we were actually interviewing the women as part of the project. Her boss kept changing the hours that she had to be there. And in the end, conflicted with class. The dilemma there was one of the things we need our students to understand is that sometimes you have to really communicate with your boss and say, like, this is not okay. I need to finish my education. Right. But it's surprisingly hard for people to do that. They are really afraid of losing their jobs. They know somebody else could take their job. They know they're very vulnerable. And so while we mm. might assume it's a lack of motivation, um, you know, the reality is if, if you need that job and it's a good one and you feel comfortable with it and you've been at it for a while, most people will be loyal and and put their needs second and say, okay, you know, I'm going to drop my English class this semester. I'll try again with that class next semester. And so that's what happened with this this individual. I've, I've heard that story, unfortunately, many times. And, you know, I always try to encourage students to self-advocate and talk to their employer and not be scared. It's tough, tough to learn that. You know, that's another kind of class issue. It's really hard, you know, to do that. Um, you have to feel very confident and um, not afraid. And and unfortunately, you know, these students often are afraid that they're going to lose their job. They're too dependent on it. So, so mm. yeah, I don't, I don't think it's motivation. Motivation gets people in the door. They're there for a reason. They want to learn, but life gets in the way. I had a, another student who was also an immigrant. Um, her no, nobody in her family spoke English, um, so she was the person who had to be the translator for her younger siblings. And one of her sisters was getting in trouble at school. She had to keep going into the principal's office and the parents' conferences with her mother to help out her younger sibling because she was the translator. Well, she ended up dropping classes. She couldn't finish because she was constantly being drawn off to to help her sister deal with her her situation in school. These are tough decisions that, you know, young people with aspirations have to make on a daily basis. That's brutal. Uh, COVID, I think, has made that even worse. There have been a lot of families losing loved ones, picking up work where, you know, somebody lost a job and having to radically change their school schedule, trying to do school while taking care of siblings. We've had lots and lots of students doing school from their cars. And the reason is because it's the only place they can find enough peace and quiet to get uh, to attend class. Unfortunately, uh, the last year has been incredibly impactful on this population in ways that we are used to seeing, but it's, you know, much, much worse for them right now. So if you were to, what would it cost, you know, if you were to, you probably don't, but I'm just listening to you talk, like what would it cost to make the whole system free? So maybe making college tuition free is too controversial, but community college seems like such a stepladder from one stage to another. Yeah, I'm not sure if I I can do the math on that. I have to figure that out. But then it sounds like hearing those stories, the 12 billion sounds like nothing. I mean, it feels like you could massively increase the budget of these things and just take care of those problems and that you'd have a much more capable workforce, which is one of the things that the companies themselves complain about. Right. Well, I think that's true. And so I I do see some of those funds going into um, improved uh, equipment and learning spaces for students. Yep. 
um, which I think is actually really critical to students learning skills on current technology and, and being really workforce ready. Um, you know, we may also be able to do more with distance learning now after the past year, and that helps students. You know, we one of the things we learned really on because they don't have to deal with all the commuting costs. Exactly, the time on like students will ride an hour, hour and a half just to get across town <laughs> to to get to their college. A, a drive that would take you or me fifteen minutes is an hour to an hour and a half schlep each way, and then the buses are. You know, I don't care where you are, they always run off schedule. <laughs> Certainly from a student standpoint, if your class starts at nine and you take the bus that's supposed to arrive at 8.50, guess what? Chances are you're gonna be late for class. Mm. So what we learned very early on in the pandemic is that students were extremely relieved to be released from having to, to ride buses and deal with their transportation issues or even the cost of gas to get to campus. So we have quite a large segment of our population that I think wants to keep learning online because they're just finding it is much easier to, to integrate that into their, their lives. So last two questions. A, what, are these, what do community colleges do badly? We've talked a lot about what they do well. What do they do badly? <laughs> I, I think because, as I said, they work with, they operate with really limited staffing compared to the scale of what we're trying to do. One of the areas where they struggle the most is really with student services mm. and being able to uh, get students registered, get them through all of the kind of bureaucratic processes you need in order to, to get set up for class, get your financial aid. Uh, often you need immunizations before you can take class. It's just a long list of stuff. Even registering, you know, students are confronted with hundreds of courses to choose from, a complicated curriculum. It's often very hard for them to figure it out. Our websites are not great across the board at community colleges. There's not a lot of direction on how to get started. And so community colleges have been doing a lot of work around what we call holistic student support, which is really recognizing that we can't expect students to come to us to get the answers to questions that they may not even know. That instead, we have to be very much student focused and take the student perspective and try to look at all of our processes through the eyes of a student. So is the website informative and easy to figure out? Um, if I go into financial aid, am I going to be able to solve my problem? Am I going to be able to understand the deadlines, um, you know, that I need to adhere to in order to get registered for class? Am I going to be able to understand the curriculum and know which courses to sign up for? All of those kinds of questions, we're, we're working on restructuring community colleges to be able to help students rather than force them to be so independent and come kind of knowing all the answers. Last question. Any questions for me? I'm wondering what your impressions are. What was the thing you learned? The thing that struck me was the gap actually between the anecdotes you're describing and the textbook stuff that you sent me, which is a lot about articles and, and statistics about graduation rates. So it's like I've, I've often believed that people really think and understand more through stories than they do through statistics. And so when you're describing to me that the only place that somebody can go study is when they're in a car, and then I, I've sat in cars and tried to, I mean, it's not a pretty comfortable place to work, and that says something. And so it's the gap between the dry, 
not try, but I would say more academic statistical stuff and what the reality is of trying to get through that system. And so my mind is going to what those stories are like to recognize that your family environment is not helpful. And then, okay, you're going to switch that. And then your country is not helpful. Okay, then you're going to switch that. Now you got to find a profession that you're going to switch that. You're really asking a lot of people. And it's miraculous that some people get through, but I would imagine there's many, many people who come close to getting through each one of those stages, but don't uh, through some combination of bad luck and maybe maybe motivation as well. Very true. We lose about half of the students that start out at a community college. They don't earn anything or transfer. And that's been... Hmm. And has that been stable through time? Um, yeah, it's been stable. It's I think it's improving slightly. I think it's probably getting closer to 40%. And there are community colleges in the country that are now graduating 50% of their students, which is the national average is closer to 25%. So you're, you're inspiring me to think about writing something that's more anecdotal, which uh, I'm a sociologist. So kind of the legitimation of knowledge, I think, comes through some of all those statistics and citations, but... Uh, um, this is really useful. Cool, all right, well, thank you so much. I'll see you on the water. <laughs>